Hi, I'm Sean, and welcome to today's episode of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. On today's episode of the show, I'm joined by Richard Hawkins for part two of our conversation about mouthpieces. Last time we discussed hygiene and maintenance tips, but today we dive in right where we left off and talk about his new Vocalese CG and Z, or Z I guess in the States, mouthpieces, whether numbers really are the best way to decide which mouthpiece is for you, and why you might want to try something new instead of always sticking to what's comfortable and familiar when selecting your new mouthpiece. Thank you so much to our 61 Patreon backers for supporting our content here, and especially today's episode at clarinet.com slash subscribe. If you'd like to get access to ad-free extended episodes and other perks yourself, you can do this today for as little as $1 per month on Patreon. Again, the address for that is clarinet.com slash subscribe. Thank you, of course, also to our sponsors for making everything here at Clarinet possible. We've got Encoda, and that's a new app that lets you stream, practice, and perform tens of thousands of music scores. It's kind of like Netflix or Spotify, but for sheet music. You can get a free trial today. Just search for Encoda on your device's app store, or head to encoda.com. That's N-K-O-D-A. Imagine a reed that offers complex performance and sound, but is washable, recyclable, consistent, doesn't require moistening, and lasts for months instead of days. It's all possible with Legere Reeds, the world's leading synthetic reed brand made right here in Canada. Legere reeds are used exclusively by some of the world's greatest clarinetists, including Eddie Daniels, Carada Giuffredi, David Schifrin, and many others. And now, it's your turn. Experience Legere reeds at your local music store, or by heading to legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E dot com. Take your clarinet to the next level with a new mouthpiece, barrel, or bell from Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you're making the best choice for your musical needs. For Canadian customers, be sure to check out the new store in Canadian dollars. And for everyone, I should let you know about an exclusive coupon that lets you get 10% off your purchase. And yes, this now does extend to clarinets. You can use code CLARINET at checkout at www.bakunmusical.com. That's code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com. As I said, we're going to dive right into the conversation here. So Richard and I were discussing the new Vocalese CG mouthpiece, which he worked on with Corrado Giuffredi. And he starts off with telling some stories about how it was developed. The CG was a collaboration, you know, between Corrado and, uh, and I. And Corrado, of course, as such an amazing player as he is, you know, listen, the guy can play anything. It doesn't matter what he, he plays on. He can just play anything. And so many players are like that. And... But I was really after getting a solidity and evenness of sound that I knew that he already had. And I wanted to continue that quality in his playing as well as I wanted to give him a little more room in the high register because he likes to play up in the super high altissimo. And this material just sounds beautiful up there. I don't know if you've seen some of these recent videos of his, but he just sounds really amazing. I've just been so happy that he's happy. It's a um, moderately open mouthpiece, right? It's it's a little bit more open than the H model that we're currently making in hard rubber. And it has a long facing, um, takes, you know, basically similar read to the H model. I've uh, experimented mostly with the, the Legere 3.75 or I think that's what Corrado's using, the Euro signature reads with it. Kane also works really well on it. I was really having a great time working with the B21 reads on it, um, the Vendoran B21s. And, you know, I'm always trying to make everything work with both just because there's still a lot of people that like both. I think that that's uh, always going to be a part of what we do. And so anyway, the CG is, it's super cool looking for sure. It's amazing because it's, it's very light, you know, it's not a heavy mouthpiece, but it, 
creates a very warm and darker quality than I think than even crystal. So I'm very happy with it. It's also very easy to clean. <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, you can see through it. So it, it uh, has sort of a blue aqua um, shade to it, which I think is quite beautiful. And, and the reason I did that actually, it's because it helps, especially if you're using a uh, synthetic reed that's clear, <laughs> putting a little shade in the mouthpiece itself is much easier to line up your reed than tip of your mouthpiece. So, because I had clear ones originally, like totally clear and they were beautiful also, but it was like impossible to be able to line up the reed and the mouthpiece. And so we, we added a little shade to it, which I think is quite beautiful. And it should be hypoallergenic for those who don't like playing on the hard rubber and, and or have any kind of allergic reaction to it. I have to admit, though, that I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody who's had that, but it would be great for that. It's also really easy to find reeds for, which I think is really great. And I think a lot of people will enjoy using it. Anyway, the, the CG is an amazing evenness of sound and extremely beautiful to play. I think uh, the reactions I've had have been really great so far with a lot of players that have, have ordered and especially people that are coming from crystal or glass mouthpieces. It, it seems very compatible in the kind of feel and density of glass or crystal. And yeah, it's quite, it's quite fun to see all of these players playing these things. And like I said, the Corrado video was really fun because current and or former students that are playing in those videos with them. And they, they're all using one too. So it's really quite fun. For me, I found I had to use a little harder read. I'm not really sure why. And a little bit of a different ligature because I was using always metal ligatures to kind of liven up the sound. But one interesting thing about the CG is it was so full of life <laughs> and vibrancy that I actually, I ended up switching to a more kind of darker ligature, which I would almost never have done before. But now it's getting like a really clear articulation but yeah, I'm really enjoying playing it. And so I think that a lot of people will have that experience with it too, if they've you know tried Crystal before and, and want to come back to it. That's awesome. Now, have you also experienced the same in the upper range? I mean, have you felt like sort of this, the solidity of it as far as what you were using before and comparing it in the sort of tonal quality of it? Yeah, well, the other one I've been on lately is the, the Vocalese as well. I think it's the R that I found that I preferred. So but then again, it's odd because this new one is a little more open. I do think that some of these numbers are all in our heads. And, you know, just because I tend to prefer a small tip opening on that material may not be the case for another material. It may not be the case for a different read. So should we kind of just abolish this sense from our mind and just play the darn mouthpieces and pick one? <laughs> like, how should we go forwards with this? I mean, that's kind of been my whole idea in this because I think the technology itself has changed enough that we're making such tiny little sort of tweaks to everything that we can adjust things in a way that we've never been able to adjust before. And, you know, one of the things about tip openings that always sort of confuse me even as a player is that, I mean, I don't think the tip opening is at all important in the sense of, the response necessarily it's to me it's much more about the volume of air that you want to use that's something that that brought me to developing the the z or the z model because i mean i've been working on that one for over a year because it's something that in my mind i go back through my novels of mouthpiece measurements that i've had all these years and i have sort of the, you know the hall of fame i look through it it's sort of, kind of crazy i've got just amazing amount of players and these these notebooks of measurements that I have and 
And so I've been around that for so much time. And, you know, I keep going back to that one moment that I met Larry Combs when I was teaching in Interwalk and in, in my basement. And he came up, and this was the beginning of Zinner. This was about 19, I think it was like 92 or something like that. And we played a recital together. And I think I talked about this in the other podcast, actually, a little bit about this story about when he came up there and I never even drank coffee at that point in my life. And so I bought a coffee maker and Larry came up and I got up the next morning, of course, and asked him if he'd like some coffee. And he says, no, I don't drink coffee. And so I was like, oh, man. So, so I had this <laughs> coffee maker. So that's what, that's how I began. I was like 24 or 25 or something like that. But, you know, so he came, he came downstairs in, in the basement when I was up there and I had 10 mouthpieces laid out for him and he went through all 10 and he picked one and he said, this one's great. And that's the one he played on for like 15 years. He never asked me about tip openings. He never asked me about all this other stuff. And there is a certain amount of, you know, learning how to play something, getting used to it, and it takes time. I mean, I think taking a mouthpiece and you don't really get to know it for about six to eight weeks. I mean, it really takes some time to get used to it and, and learn what it's capable of doing. So I guess I'd say that publishing numbers, and I never did that, even my own when I was using all of my mouthpieces, inner mouthpieces like that, I never published any numbers because, first of all, yes, people get in their mind what they like. And I'm trying to, to push the idea that maybe you'll get to know something else that you'll like even more. And especially as people are changing ages, changing types of jobs, you know, playing in small studios, playing in large studios, playing in big concert halls, playing in smaller concert halls, or on the road all the time and playing different places. I mean, you know, I think that there's so much flexibility in what we do that it would seem to me that musicians should be flexible in the way the equipment works for them and trying different kinds of equipment and finding the right thing for the right time of that moment for their lives because it's always shifting. And I think that's one of the great things about what we do. So going back and talking about, you know, numbers and things like that, I just think that the way that things are manufactured now and the kinds of adjustments that one can make that, you know, create 80 pages of code, that means much more to me than, you know, a tip opening or a facing link and things like that. Like there's things that you can do to counteract any of those numbers that you might know. So... So that's why, for me, it's it's important not to go there because it creates um, preconceived ideas about what something is, and it's it's certainly it's a new game. And I've wondered too, like I'm guilty of this myself, but you know, you go to look at a new mouthpiece and you're like, well, I'm currently playing a B45, so what's got the same tip opening? What's going to be like this? And then you have to ask yourself, why why are you changing? Right. Why not just stick with what you have if you want it to be exactly the same? You know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean. What does it really accomplish in the end? You know, like try stuff, you know, that's why there's so many great products out there for the, for the instrument. You know, I think there's so many different things and we're lucky. We have so many different types of things to try and find your own voice. And I mean, it's part of the reason I call them vocalese because it's a new voice. It's, you know, it's, you're, you're trying to always find something new. And I think that the search is, is healthy. I think you get stuck in one thing and sometimes it's, mundane it's just like you know we're going through this sort of crisis time and we're all having to adapt to new situations uh, and i think that's one of the great things about being a musician one of the reasons i went 
into investigating the new Z model in the last year, basically, so sort of researching it, looking into it. I went through all of those mouthpiece novels that I have, and I started uh, the measurements and things like that, and started uh, making notes as to what people were gravitating towards in different periods of times in their lives. I mean, it was sort of interesting because I have so many really famous names, and I don't even want to mention them because I'll leave somebody out. And in these in these books of measurements, and it's really kind of fascinating because people, you know, some of the greatest names of players out there, they, they change, they radically change quite often. And so I was going through that, and I was just sort of making notes of things that I thought I would want to try. And, I mean, I have never played something that's particularly that open. So for me, like the G model was the first mouthpiece I really actually developed because the G model is kind of right in the middle. And that's what I pretty much always used is something kind of in the middle. And there was times I think I used something closer to the R model vocalies. And then, and then as soon as these three came out, the H model is what I gravitated towards, which was really interesting to me because it sort of supplied me with a different kind of take on the amount of air that I like to use and things like that. So I started playing on that. And I would pretty much play anything on the H model in the last basically two years. All the concerts, and I just recorded the Bumps Trio not too long ago and things like that. So I mean, and I've always been really happy with the way it sounds and feels and comfort level and I feel like you get a little more sound out of it, which I think is great. So I was gravitating towards going experimenting with something totally radical and making something extremely open. So I started messing around with that and that's where the Z came from. And it, it it's based off of some facings that I have had in mouthpiece um, measuring books that I have had have taken all these years. And I actually have been playing on that for, I guess, since January. And I am having so much fun playing that mouthpiece. I mean, I have never dreamed in my life that I could play something as open as it is. and that It's out there, but it doesn't feel like it at all. I don't know if you've tried one yet. Yeah, yeah, I have. It, it's, it takes a little different kind of read. You would think that because of how much more open it is, kind of a, the old myth of you know, more open means softer read is not the case in, in the Z or the Z model. It takes about the same strength read as the others do. And that's on purpose because I didn't want people to have to buy a whole other set of reeds to go with it. So basically I'm playing anywhere from a 3.75 to a 4.25 on it. And that sounds outrageous based on, you know, what people would expect for something like that to take, but it's all in other dimensions to be able to adjust. So I'm just having a ball and it's extremely loud. I mean, it's already, I did some measurements, it's already five or six decibels louder out of the case than any other. Methods. Do you still have the dynamic range though? Or you can get it down? Yeah, absolutely. So for projection or jazz or klezmer, things like that, people might really like it. Yeah, exactly. So if you're playing in a big space or, yeah, I mean, you can really go on this thing. It's extremely uh, big sounding and very smooth. I think it's even darker than the other mouthpieces. Like it has a a hold in it that I think is really quite wonderful. So, yeah, it's been a lot of fun and articulation's clearer on it. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how people adjust to it because I think it's something that a lot of different kinds of sounds that people 
make on the planet, it will be very beneficial for a lot of those a lot of those folks. Well, I guess it's all kind of like trying on shoes. You got to just go and give it a go and see if you like it. You know, you're not going to find out otherwise. Absolutely. I mean, it'll probably make your eyes like immediately widen. Like, wow, this is like incredibly loud and free blowing and really fun to play. And it may not be for everybody, but it's certainly something that I think a lot of people who tend to play on more open mouthpieces will be very, very happy with. Well, even for schools, like I've always heard this argument that a slightly better mouthpiece is better than a crappy mouthpiece. But when a band teacher has come to me before asking, you know, which model should I buy for my school? I'll usually suggest they get kind of a sampler pack and let the kids try and pick the one that suits them because no teacher in their right mind would be like, you must go to sport check and buy this brand of shoe for every kid. That's very true. You know, one of the things that I've seen as a teacher is sort of coming from the teacher side of me, I always suggest to people is when they're looking at young beginners and what things to recommend, like seeing college level and high school students over the years, the more open mouthpieces for young players is really not a great idea. And it's because they need time to develop embouchure and air support and the kind of articulation that requires, you know, the tip of the tongue to the tip of the reed, that sort of thing. And I guess I'd say that it's like a medium open or a closed mouthpiece is more beneficial for a young, young player than in a very open mouthpiece because it just doesn't let them develop embouchure strength. And by the time, you know, they, they get into high school and they start playing a little harder read, then it becomes impossible to articulate. And then they start fighting a lot and things start just causing a lot of stress. And that's something that you don't want to do on the instrument. You want to be as free and as comfortable and as relaxed as you can because that will really help your air support. So anyway, that's just something my own opinion of being up on the teacher side is that a lot of times, you know, you see a lot of kids come through with playing on super open mouthpieces from being a beginner even, and it just doesn't help them in the long run. So you're talking about like grade six, seven or beginner type people. Yeah. Six, seven, eight, really. I mean, because by the time, you know, you're getting into a harder repertoire in nine, 10, 11, 12 and, you know, you're, you're starting to really develop as a player at that point. You want something that's sort of in the sort of mid-range because you can always experiment with more open things later. Some of the original most famous mouthpieces of the past that were very open were intended for professionals. I think a lot of school programs kind of inherited some of that because a really open mouthpiece with a really soft read is non-offensive when you have 30 beginners playing together and, and it sounds sort of darker. And in the long term for the future of a player, I think a more open mouthpiece is not the way to go for a young, young player because it just starts to create more problems down the road. You're right. For beginners, there's got to be sort of a more direct directed approach, of course. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get a, you know, a pro player shoe to someone who's just beginning. Well, this is maybe just an interesting kind of cultural difference too, because in Canada here, I would almost never hear of a teacher looking for mouthpieces for a junior high band. It would almost always be a high school question. Are are we having this more in the States where people are at that level trying to get the students into better gear right away? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think from, you know, growing up in Texas and, and going through that program, I think it, there is a strong history of instrument makers that get requests from programs to supply the instruments with a certain kind of equipment from the very beginning, which I think is a good idea. I don't think there's any problem with that. I think it's actually great. I mean, you know, you're kind of creating a good um, start for all the kids when they get decent mouthpieces with beginner instruments. But at the same time, you know, when you're creating things down the road four or five years from that point, that's creating problems for the kids. It's, it's something you have to be really careful of. So yeah, there is a history of that in various states in, in the United States where directors or, or school programs even will just say, oh, we'll order these instruments with these mouthpieces and, and these ligatures. And so everyone starts to sort of play the same thing. There was definitely a shift in the, I think it was 80s, maybe when pretty much everyone was playing medium open mouthpieces from beginners through high school. And then the 90s is when it started creeping in when people were ordering really open mouthpieces for beginners. That's been a really big problem for a lot of people, I think. You know, you've been a part of obviously bringing the Zinner's mouthpieces to North America and really kind of pioneering that. And now you're part of sort of pioneering this new CNC custom type mouthpieces. And what do you think lies in the future for mouthpieces? So that's kind of the past, present, and where are we going? You know, when I get the time and I'm not teaching or playing and that sort of thing, and I'm up in Vancouver and I'm with Maury and we're hanging out, we talk about these kinds of things. Like, what's the next step? What were we always looking forward to? And to me, one of the most exciting things is materials and trying to find a new hard rubber. Like, I, I really think that Hard rubber is something that we have to consider in the future as being wasteful. There's a lot of waste in the mouthpiece. It's really difficult to recycle. We try our best to do that, but it is definitely not the easiest thing to do. And it is a recyclable material. It's more about just getting it to the right place and so much of it, right? And new materials are going to offer even more complexity of sound and more flexibility of sound. I think that's something in my mind. I, I don't know how long that'll take, but I'm certainly going to be experimenting with new things. And certainly the CG is the first of its kind because I think it's a fantastic material and really beautifully crafted. Like I think if anything, one of the, the attractions to it is that as it's being milled, it's absolutely clean. Like it hardly has any waste whatsoever. And that's something that I think is really amazing about it. And I, you know, looking forward to other, other materials that I think we can experiment with. And, you know, once we've got things plugged into the, the code and Jeremy Bakun, who's just an amazing engineer, is just so wonderful to work with and so smart in working out code and helping us uh, figure out little things that we can do to improve all the time. And so materials are, are the next game, I think. So, you know, hard rubber is great. There's a wonderful ring and complexity to it, but I do think that we can continue um, learning from new materials and find something that's going to be even better in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here today on the podcast. And I hope you stay safe and well. And that goes for all your students and really everyone listening. I mean, this is such a difficult time. and uh, But it's important that we take this time, if we have it, to try and 
maintain a little bit of normalcy. So I hope that listening to this podcast, giving you a bit of an escape and I hope that you can apply some of this to your practicing and try to just get your mind off things out there. So anything else, Richard, before we wrap up? That's it's ditto from me to everyone to stay healthy and stay safe and do your long tones, everybody. <laughs> it's, it's good to do things that are not staring at the news. Stay home, but you know, get your mind off this a bit. It's, it's tough, but it's, uh, it's necessary. I think so. Thanks so much, Richard, for coming on and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you'd like to send me a guest suggestion, have some feedback, or just want to say hi, you can contact me at feedback at clarinet.com. I'm reaching the end of my in-the-can, so to speak, episodes that I have had uh, pre-recorded here. So I am looking to be recording some new episodes, hopefully over the summer and into the fall. So if you have any great ideas or you'd like to be a guest yourself, please don't hesitate to contact me. I do take the time to respond to every message that gets sent in. Again, that's feedback at clarinet.com. Also, if you listened all the way to the end of the show here. You are a true fan and you are awesome. Thank you so, so much. Uh, if you'd like to get access to extended versions of episodes just like this one, you can check that out at clarinet.com slash subscribe. We have over 60 people getting that edition of the show now and they also get access to an ad-free version. So it's extended, ad-free, and it's actually in a higher audio quality. So become a patron of the podcast at clarinet.com slash subscribe. It's not only our patrons we have to thank for the Clarinet podcast episode that you enjoyed today. It's also our sponsor. I'd like to thank Encoda, which is a new app that lets you stream, purchase, and perform tens of thousands of sheet music scores. It's kind of like Netflix or Spotify, but for sheet music. You can get a free trial today at Encoda.com. That's N-K-O-D-A.com. Of course, you can save 10% on your next Bakun accessory purchase. That includes mouthpieces, barrels, bells, and more. You can shop now with code Clarinet at checkout at www.bakunmusical.com or bakunmusical.ca for Canadian customers. That's now in Canadian dollars. Last but not least, we have Legere Reeds. Of course, these are also made in Canada. And I've been using these for a really long time, ever since back in the day, I think it was way back in like the early 2000s, uh, 2000 or 2001, when I was in marching band. I loved them back then for their durability and reliability and the fact that they don't dry out. But I love them even more today because they've come a long way and they're the perfect reed. If you're a teacher, for example, you like to set down your clarinet for a long time or a doubler, same thing. You can pick it up and sort of keep going no matter how long it's been sitting there. So Try out Legere Reads at your local music store, or you can head to www.legere.com. Thanks so much again for listening to the Clarinet Podcast, and I look forward to seeing you next time for more of what's new and neat for clarinet with the news people in the industry on the Clarinet Podcast. Mm-hmm.